Hello, everyone. I know it's getting late. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I'd like to thank Nicolas for inviting me to moderate this panel. Uh, let me kick off by making the necessary introductions. To my left here, it's Mr. Philippos uh, Phyllis, who is the CEO of Lemisole Navigation. Um, next to uh, uh, Mr. Phyllis, it's uh, Christopher Chang, who is the managing director of LD uh, Bulk Asia. Uh, next to Christopher, it's Mr. Eddie Valendiz, who is the CEO of Pixis Tankers. Next to Eddie, it's uh, Mr. Stamatis Chandanis, who is the chairman and CEO of Synergy Maritime Holdings. And last, but definitely not least, it's Mr. Bing Chen, who is the president and CEO of CSPAN. Now, we're coming back to, uh, we are coming to the end of the decade. It's been a very interesting decade. Uh, I think uh, one word which would summarize what happened the past 10 years is volatility. We've seen a lot of changes on the financing side. We've seen a lot of changes on the shipbuilding side. And it seems that next year is going to be, you know, um, I think a key year as to what will happen in, in the next decade. So I'm, I'm very delighted to have the opportunity to discuss with my dis distinguished panelists um, what their thoughts are as to where we will be heading on every uh, aspect uh, in shipping the next 10 years. But before I do that, I want to ask a question about the short-term uh, future, which is what's going to happen in the remaining uh, uh, you know, um, period within uh, 2019. Uh, in, in each of the sectors. So I'd like to uh, commence with Mr. Phyllis. Um, may, maybe you, you can tell us what, which is your opinion as to what will happen in the sectors in which you're active. Yeah, uh, thank you, Christopher. Uh, I think uh, acting in the dry bulk, uh, we couldn't uh, foresee the uh, collapse of Valedam. Uh, so the market was going very well uh, towards the last uh, quarter of last year. Uh, but uh, something made us uh, uh, August last year to fix all our ships over the Chinese New Year. So we were lucky. We are uh, making 45% above the, the index to date. And now the market is harmonizing, uh, going back to uh, a little more sustainable rates. Uh, the fundamentals, though, are very positive. Uh, but on the other side, you have uh, Mr. Trump with some announcements. You have some black swans, unforeseeable black swans. Uh, all those things might change the, the appetite. And in the most of the cases, it's not because of lack of trade, but it's a, set, it's a sentiment-driven market. Uh, in general, we see a better second half uh, for this year in the, in the drive-back sector, specifically on the mid-range where we are operating. Thank you. So, uh, given the recent tweets, you don't think that this will affect the uh, trade in your sector in the next, uh, what, uh, six months? Minor affection might have, but uh, uh, I think uh, minor parks where we are mainly moving are uh, always in demand. So I don't see a very big fluctuation, but always uh, the market can be driven by sentiment. And uh, of course, the charters are taking advantage of this. And um, desperate owners are fixing their ships on lower rates than expected, and they, they drive the market downwards. But this cannot be sustained for a longer period, maybe one, two months, and then the market is recovering, going back to more normal rates. OK, thank you. Christopher, your view? 
Well, I was, gonna, I was curious to see which one of us would mention uh, Trump first, which unfortunately is, a, uh, I guess, a, a key factor in, in, in some of this conversation. Um, generally, I agree with what uh, Mr. Filopoulos has said here. Um, our market, in terms of, uh, in particular, this, this trade war that, is, uh, that has happened, I think, in the short term, in the largest size, the sentiment will drive that uh, quite a bit. I think in the, in the long term, so far, there hasn't been any, uh, you know, a studyable sort of macroeconomical trend that has happened as a result of it uh, as of now. Um, you know, and if you, if you take it a little step further, right, a lot of these uh, commodities that move, I mean, even with uh, certain countries not doing trade with each other, I mean, you still have people who need to export, you still have people who need to import. I mean, this product will get from A to B, and if it ends up going via C, D, or E, that could, in the long term, uh, potentially be positive for, uh, for our industry. Of course, the negative point of it is the decisions and the personnel and the personalities behind why this is all happening may make other decisions that affect you know, the global financial markets that may then have a trickle-down effect on, uh, on, on shipping, which is unfortunately unavoidable, so that, that could happen. Um, but in the short term, um, yeah, in particular on the smaller sizes, it seems to be relatively um, um, okay. But like Mr. Uh, Filippo said here, you know, it's been really hard to predict what has happened over the past six months, you know, with the, starting with the train demailment at the end of last year and now with the unfortunate uh, disaster at the beginning of this year, and that effect has really uh, affected our market in a way that was, that was not predictable. Eddie, I think your sector is, is, is rather more positive, you think, or, or am I mistaken? Yes, you're right. Uh, we're Trump immune, in a way. <laughs> uh, we are in the product tanker segment, so... Uh, we don't have these uh, fears that the dry bulk sector has. Uh, overall, uh, the product tanker segment, uh, we will see a balanced year uh, between uh, supply and demand. Leaving IMO 2020 aside and how this will affect uh, the product tanker market, we think that overall it is a balanced market. The order book we see uh, for the next couple of years around 7%, especially for the MR sector, which we are concentrating in. Uh, so average uh, annual increase this year about 2.8% and the remaining next year. Um, leaving aside also scrapping, accelerated scrapping because of IMO 2020, because of new uh, environmental regulations like ballast water, etc., etc. 7% of the fleet um, by next year will be uh, around 20 years of age. So it's crucial for these owners to decide whether they will operate the vessels in, in this market or not. So there are uh, good fundamentals for the product tanker sector. We're very bullish uh, from uh, Q3, starting Q3 this year. Uh, Q2 has been a bit slow, mainly because of refinery maintenance. But overall, we think uh, we're uh, heading to exciting times for product tankers, and uh, I must tell you, we deserve it because we come uh, after a big period of uh, very slow rates. So um, we're very positive on the product tanker segment. Okay. Stamati, I think that the Validam uh, issue has, has been discussed extensively. I think, we, I mean, your, your opinion is that we're over that and we're looking towards a more positive uh, end of the year? Well, um, Thank you, Christophe. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, after many years of a lot of uncertainty in respect of um, demand and supply, we finally came to a point where demand and supply, especially in the dry bulk segment, has had the most favorable uh, fundamentals you know, for in the recent history. 
However, even though demand is stronger, it's actually quite strong, and supply of ships is one of the lowest um, of the last 15 years, we're going through a tsunami of uh, <laughs> unfortunate events. First of all, you have the political uncertainty. Um, you know, what's going to happen with the tariffs, all these uh, sanctions being placed all over the world, and it's, uh, it's crazy because it creates, you know, a huge global, um, you know, unfavorable uh, term environment. And at the same time, uh, you have all these accidents that have taken place. We operate in the Cape Sai segment, and except for the Valle incident, we've had a cyclone in Australia. We had another accident in Brazil last year. So I must say that uh, in order for the Cape Sai market in particular to, be, uh, to have stabilized at around nine, $10,000 a day with all these things happening at the same time, I must say it's kind of a, one of the most resilient, and that shows how strong the underlying fundamentals are. I see. How about you? Uh, maybe, maybe the tweets might affect more your sector, you think? Or? Yeah, we're uh, in the container uh, shipping sector. I think I echo the uh, panelists, uh, you know, the views. In general, our sector is also fundamentally improving from the demand and supply perspective. On the demand side, you know, the, the, the growth is continuing. I think this year is about 4%. Uh, on the container shipping side, uh, if you're looking at um, uh, from the you know global GDP perspective, this year is expected to be 3.3 percent of a growth. Um, and on the trade side, this year uh, with the trade tension, I think the estimate is going to be 0.6 percent less than what initially forecast is going to be 3.3.4 percent uh, growth on the on the on the trade side. So overall, uh, you know, the growth is still uh, there, but on the other hand, supply side is this remains to be uh, rather uh, disciplined. Disciplined in the sense that if you're looking at the new build, again, it's still at the record low uh, time in terms of the new build. So fundamentally, uh, from an industry plus that we have this uh, IMO 2020, which take out certain capacities uh, for the uh, scrubber installation. And uh, you know, if you're looking at from a, from a uh, remaining short term for the remaining of the year, we see the uh, you know cautiously optimistic in a way that the seasonality plus the IMO 2020 will actually further balance the demand and supply. But for, for C-SPAN itself, I think we actually have over 80% of our capacities on a long-term charter. We have average about five years of uh, uh, you know, long-term charter contract in place. And uh, so therefore, we are a lot less uh, you know, sensitive to the short-term uh, market volatilities. Yeah, Bing, so if I could stay with you, because 2020, of course, it has a lot of unknowns. We can discuss about the unknowns. But in your sector, uh, would one be, I mean, should one be assuming that it's a bit easier for you to deal with because the trading is more standardized? You've got particular routes that, you, you know, that the liner companies operate in. And therefore, for, a, for example, you have additional alternatives, like you could build um, alternative fuel uh, vessels like LNG. Do you think that this is the future? Uh, how, how, do you things, how do you see things evolving in your sector uh, in terms of 2020? Sure. Um, our sector, actually, one thing just to clarify that we, as the owner and operator, we are not responsible for the compliance of the fuel. In other words, our uh, customers are responsible for the fuel. Yeah. Uh, however, I think that's a very important uh, point is, is that as industry, uh, you know, with the IMO 2020, I think the, first of all, for the existing fleet, 
existing fleet. I think you know it's a matter of either you're going to burn a low sulfur fuel yeah. or you have to put a scrubber, either one of them. Yeah. Then you have to take into consideration for those that you put on a scrubber, you have to look at, it's a multi-dimensional uh, considerations. First, you have, to, you have to anticipate what will be the spread between the low sulfur fuel and high sulfur fuel. What will be the spread? How long the spread is going to be last? And the secondly, you have to look at is, you know, whether those low sulfur fuel will be available to be supplied in the ports where you're going to. And then the other part you have to look at is, is that, you know, uh, in terms of uh, this low sulfur fuel, that, um, you know, what, what, what type of, what size of the vessels will be economically to install the scrubber? Mm. Okay, so there's many different considerations and the variables to consider. So I think it's a mix. If you, you, you know, your question is, is what is what do you see in terms of what your customers doing? I think it's a mixed, mm. mixed in the sense that I think some of the customers, I think they take a bigger position. Some will take a le lesser position in, in storing the the scrubber. But overall, I think it's it's something that uh, it, it will it will you know have an impact on you know the as I said that from a from a, you know, the vessels probably, you know, more than 10,000 TU vessels will be likely to be the candidate to install the scrubber, versus the smaller one probably economically doesn't justify. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at the newer vessels, mm -hmm. I think, sure, going forward with, uh, you know, further IMO uh, regulations in the coming years, I think at LNG, for example, it will mm -hmm. be considered, or some of the new builds is concerned to have the dual fuel, whether it's going to have a traditional fuel or you're going to have the LNG. But those are the currently, uh, we see there are for sure increasing interest from the uh, the the, the uh, you know the, the owners that they're considering that what will be the both the economics and also the environmental uh, you know requirements are so that's definitely is going to be an increase in uh, I would say that the topics and decision making among the different uh, you know the ship owners in terms of what they see and how they balance between. You know, because from an economic standpoint, still, I think that the, uh, with the LNG, that the costly, uh, it will be relatively costly. I see. Okay. Uh, Stamati, uh, 2020, uh, do you think that the dust has settled and everybody is well prepared, or do you see some nasty surprises uh, happening uh, next year and going forward? Well, um, I don't think that uh, everybody is well prepared. Everybody thinks, uh, you know, that they're well prepared, but uh, I don't think this is the case. Um, we at Synergy took um, a very innovative approach. We have decided to install scrubbers on 50% of our ships. However, we are not paying for the scrubbers. I think we took uh, the right approach to ask our charters and get into a certain partnership agreement uh, with some leading international dry bulk uh, names uh, to pay for um, you know, the installation of the scrubbers and take the ships into a period um, uh, employment. The thing with the scrubbers is not only, and I agree, it's uh, it's a multifaceted uh, problem. It's not only the actual installation of the ship on the ship is uh, the operation and performance over the next three, five years, whatever. Number two, it's going to be the compliance, um, the, the compliant fuel, which is all a big problem for um, the ships that will not in install scrubbers. We have not set uh, a unified approach as to what the new compliant fuels will be. But going back to the scrubber, I mean, other important issues is, number one, the availability of the cargo in certain, uh, the availability of the banker in certain key uh, banking stations. I'm not sure that the HFO um, will continue to be available in a number of ports uh, globally. And most importantly, the spread. Uh, 
I'm not convinced personally that the spread of um, the fuel, which has been anticipated to be in the hundreds of dollars, I don't know what's going to be, uh, it will eventually, you know, have the certain um, difference to make um, the to make the actual investment profitable for um, for the ship owners. Also, don't forget that all this makes sense and the benefit uh, is basically in such a way when the rates are higher. I mean, if the rates are now at uh, five or ten thousand uh, dollars, I don't think that the actual benefit, especially with the slow steaming coming along, uh, is helping um, the ship owners realize what the actual benefit is going to be. So I'm not convinced that Scrubber, uh, from the ship owner's perspective, is the right approach. What we did in Synergy, we did it uh, because we wanted um, to have a balanced approach into the matter. We didn't want to be left out of uh, you know, the whole situation, and we're very uh, environmental uh, sensitive about it. We were actually the first Greek company to participate in the American Bureau of Shipping uh, feasibility study of the Scrubbers. But generally, I'm not convinced uh, and that's uh, my personal statement, that this is the right approach for the industry uh, to go out and, um, you know, promote the installation of the scrubbers. I think the, the solution is elsewhere. It's number one with slower steaming, which I think is going to help um, the overall shipping environment significantly. And number two, uh, with the introduction of the compliant fuels that will be compliant at source. This is what I think uh, is going to prevail over the next couple of years. Eddie, do you think that slow steaming is a possibility, or do you think that it's still... Uh, yeah, I mean, from what I read, it is a possibility. Uh, we w it remains to be seen. As you know, in London, we have a very important meeting. Uh, IMO has a very important meeting this week, so I think things will be much clearer in the short term. Uh, in any case, uh, um, yeah, you know, the IMO 2020 is... Uh, a problem which uh, is not very clear how it will work out, especially for the majority of the owners who will not be converting to scrubbers and we will be converting to uh, low sulfur fuel. It remains to be seen um, uh, whether and at what quantities and where uh, this new, new fuel will be uh, available, uh, either distillates or blends. Um, we are very skeptical about blends and whether they are compatible or not, and that remains to be tested as well. Um, we um, um, have to be prudent, and we know that three months ahead of the uh, implementation of uh, the regulation, we need to start the process of cleaning, etc., etc. So it's a big process. We need things to be still to be clarified, and. Um, um, uh, as long as they're not clarified, we're still in the gray zone. But let's not forget that uh, besides that, uh, for product tankers at least, uh, IMO 2020 is a big opportunity. A lot of uh, low sulfur fuel will be carried to bankering ports worldwide, and this will increase on mild demand. And if slow steaming comes in, in force, that will also be very, very uh, beneficial for generally for shipping, uh, because it will create more capacity demand. Thank you. Christopher? Yes, I guess uh, in a way it depends from which sector you're looking at it. You know, we have a handy size up to, up to Cape in our, in our dry bulk segment. And certainly for the smaller sizes, um, I agree with the, the panelists here. I'm not so convinced that Scrubbers is, uh, um, is going to be the solution. You know, it's, it's interesting because as an industry, we have dealt with 
higher bunker prices uh, you know, over the past 10 years and lower bunker prices, and traditionally that cost ends up getting passed to the, uh, to the end user. Right? As uh, bunker price goes up, freight goes up. As bunker price goes down, uh, freight goes down, even if the market stays uh, exactly the same. Right? And the reason why Scrubbers now has become such a, a hot topic is because there may be a case where bunkers go up and the freight doesn't go up because all of your competitors have, uh, have scrubbers. Right? But uh, at least for the smaller segments, I think it's a generally accepted uh, solution to just sort of ride it out uh, like we always have for, for prices. I think in the, uh, in the larger segments, the uh, story is a, a little bit different. The jury's is still out. You know, uh, the fascinating thing about, about, um, about scrubbers is you can have very intelligent people from respectable companies on completely different sides of, the, of this conversation. Um, but in general, yeah, I mean, uh, we are big believers in, in the slow steaming solution. You know, Philippe Louis-Dreyfus, uh, our shareholder, he's been a, a champion of this topic for, for the past uh, number of years, and I think it's really starting to, to take traction um, uh, now. Thank you. Philippe? Yeah, I agree with um, the rest of the panelists. Uh, we are in the middle sector, supra-ultra sector, and we, we don't see uh, the necessity of scabbers, although we, on our new buildings we have uh, on demand of our charters uh, installed scabbers or we are installing scabbers. Um, but uh, we, we generally see uh, a lot of uh, uh, uncertainties. First of all is we don't know how the index will behave and whether the scrubber feeder ships will be penalized because uh, the rest of the non-scrubber feeder ships will uh, pay the penalty. Mm -hmm. uh, if the charters decide to reduce the freight because of the differential of the, of the fuel, uh, this may affect substantially the index. Uh, or it can happen the, the, the other way. That means uh, we have the baseline on non-scrubber feeder and the scrubber feeder will uh, earn uh, more money. This is practically not clarified. This was also a discussion whether you will run two index uh, in order to capture the scrubber feeder and non-scrubber feeder. Uh, the decision is not. And uh, we are afraid that uh, at the beginning there will be a mess in this uh, direction. Uh, in any way, as a company, we are more or less hedged. Uh, we have both uh, scrubber feeder and non-scrubber feeder, therefore, uh, we believe that uh, we will have an average of, uh, of the earnings. Uh, the second important thing is that uh, if you have scrubber feeder ships, uh, that means you have uh, to take care on having adequate MGO on board. Uh, if you have uh, any failure of the scrubber, uh, you cannot, it is not an excuse to run uh, the ships on uh, high sulfur uh, fuel oil. Uh, therefore, we have run a lot of studies and we have been discussing with our uh, charters uh, what will be the uh, allocation of the MGO tanks with the, uh, uh, with the heavy fuel oil uh, tanks. Uh, this is an ongoing discussion and we are very close to finalize now uh, how to allocate those. Uh, but it is a very important uh, thing uh, to consider, all companies to consider. Additionally, we, uh, we are also considering a very big issue uh, whether we will have uh, low sulfur fuel oil supply on consistent specifications. And I agree with uh, the, the panelists regarding blended fuels 
or uh, distilled fuels, whether these specifications will be more or less, more or less consistent and uh, whether we have uh, or we will face situations where we have damages on, uh, on our main engines and then nobody will bear the responsibilities. Uh, so a lot of uncertainties uh, there and we believe that uh, the first uh, year uh, will be very challenging for all of us. Thank you. So basically, uh, to summarize, I think uh, the dust has not been settled. There are a lot of question marks and therefore the ratio of supply and demand could easily, be, could easily go one way or the other, I guess. Uh, one other question that I want to ask, and it's a general question before I move on to financing, because I want to ask you some questions about financing. Um, is it, I mean, do you think that there is a factor similar to what we have seen in the automotive industry, where, for example, you had the diesel gate, or where you see technology becoming so advanced where you, you can see uh, cars being, you know, self-driven? Uh, do you see certain developments in technology or even, you know, in change of, you know, new change of regulations, which could basically um, create you know, uh, completely new opportunities which we cannot clearly see now. You know, is, the, is, is there any factor which, w which could potentially completely distort the sub supply and demand uh, ratio? Th this is a question to all, and I'm not sure wh whether it's absolutely clear, but uh, I just want to compare the automotive industry with shipping because, uh, you know, cars are changing completely. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I may take the first one, I mean, um, Compared to the automotive industry, we are where the automotive industry was 30 years ago. Uh, and in that, is, uh, I'm referring to the switch from leaded gasoline to unleaded gasoline. Mm. Um, this is where the shipping industry is today. I'm not going to discuss about uh, you know, autonomous ships, etc., etc., et because I think we're still very far away. But as far as the fuel is concerned, we are where, we, where the automotive industry was 30 years ago. With the difference that the automotive industry was given 10 years to comply, and the shipping industry is given four years to comply. And this is not fair from the part of the ship owners. And this is why we're in this mess now, and this is why we're in this gray zone six months before the implementation of this very important regulation. And this is why you see uh, panel, panelists discussing about fair competition and unfair competition. This is a very big issue. This did not happen to the automotive industry, but unfortunately, it's happening to shipping. Anyone else wishes yeah. to comment? Uh, uh, Christopher, if I understood right, uh, you are referring to the electric uh, cars. Yes. Yeah. Uh, internally, we run a study uh, on our sector, that means I'm a main engine of uh, an output of about six and a half thousand kilowatts. And we run the same study having 30 days uninterrupted trip. And the calculation with the today's density of the batteries and the pricing, uh, the ship will cost uh, maybe to build the ship 30 million plus 420 million batteries. So it's a no-go. It's not the same as uh, with the automobile, uh, automobile industry. So practically, the, an electric vessel should find uh, different alternatives unless it remains within eight to 24 hours sailing, and this is only for coastal uh, purposes. Uh, otherwise, you need to 
uh, we need to wait until the batteries improve their densities plus uh, re reduce their cost. Yeah. Well, the, the question really was, I mean, we, we see cars changing. It seems that they're going towards electricity. Of course, some people are talking about hydrogen. Uh, the, the question was whether, you know, there is a similar change coming in shipping, you know, which is going to be so significant that, uh, that you guys will have to scrap and you're going to have to order. Uh, but I guess that this is not clear or I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, not clear. I mean, uh, I'm still saying that we're okay. trying to find which right. is the proper right. fuel to use. But okay. So let, the, let me. Oh, do you, do you want? Yeah, the way I want to add is, is that for that to happen, you need to have two things. One is the technology, two is the capital. You're mm. going to have uh, technologies that's available. Today, I don't see that technology yeah. is really applicable to what you're talking about. Secondly, it's a significant amount of a capital that's required to invest to make that innovation. And I, I think that kind of capital today is, is uh, it's not there. Okay. And I will answer your, uh, your comment about the autonomous uh, shipping. You know, I think, um, in general, I agree with Eddie. I think we're you know, quite a few years away from it, but I will say that there are certain technological advances that five years ago we thought was a fantasy and now it's, it, it's looking like it might be a tangible reality. You know, I think the IMO has just started a, a study into safe navigation for autonomous ships, you know, which they're um, sort of kickstarting. Um, I think a lot of this success of whether or not this technology will happen is driven by the big data and the, you know, the uh, very fast uh, upgrade of satellite uh, technology and how the, the data that transmits from the ship to the shores become cheaper, faster, easier. You know, a lot of logistic uh, chains, they monitor every single aspect of, of, uh, of production and, and that's starting to happen on some ships where people are monitoring, you know, the engine room, uh, all the uh, components, the circuits, and that data is being transferred, uh, you know, to shore where people are then studying it and maybe can give some real-time real, real -time advice back to the ship. So I think there is progress being made on, on that front, but uh, let's see how long it let's see how long it takes. What um, what I want to add in this case is uh, what is different in shipping from the other industries, not only the uh, car industry but also the airline industry, is who is actually paying the cost of the implementation of the new rules. For example, both in the airline industry and also in the car industry, the actual cost is being paid by the end user, the consumer himself, whereas in shipping. The ship owner, which in my opinion is the least responsible for that, is asked to pay for the implementation of the new rules. And this is wrong. If you look at the profit margins of the oil majors in particular, in the case of tankers, and the iron ore uh, producers, or the steel mill producers in our case, I mean, they have tremendous spreads, and they're still asking us, the ship owners, to squeeze the non-existent profit margin by cents or dollars to implement the new devices, which is wrong. I mean, this is conceptually wrong, and that has to change. Okay. Let, let me turn to uh, finance. I know we haven't got uh, a lot of time left, but uh, so if we could start with Bing. Uh, we've seen a lot of changes the last 10, 10 years. Uh, if, if somebody, I think, predicted in 2010 that Chinese leasing would have become so important in 10 years, I don't, I don't think many would, would, would have believed this person, but um, do you see financing con continue to evolve? And do you think that the lack of financing for some people would basically change the form of ship ship owning company? Uh, where the big conglomerates such as yours will, will dominate and the, the, the small family shipping company will disappear? Mm -hmm. uh, in general, I think the financing has become much more, uh, I think, rational in looking at the from a risk 
uh, return perspective, I think it's a healthy development going forward. I think it, you know, a lot of times if you're looking at uh, the oversupply and partly is fueled by the easy access to capital. And I think that capital is uh, gradually become more rational and then you see that the, there's a change in the market. Uh, in terms of going forward, I think uh, you know, financing it will be, uh, I think it will be continued evolving. Um, specifically uh, for, for companies like ourselves, uh, you know, with the size that we have, we have over 112 vessels with over uh, 900,000 TEUs. And, the, the, you know, the, with that kind of size, actually next week, uh, we will have a innovation in, in finance in terms of, uh, in, in our sector, how we're going to be able to finance in the, the fleet of size of our you know, of our size. But I think it, after that, it will, you know, industry in general, I believe that um, it will continue to evolve and the capital will be uh, more selectively investing in the assets and also the businesses that has more, uh, you know, resilient in terms of uh, value and also model. Stamati? Well, we are a smaller company in respect of a number of ships and uh, uh, in order for us uh, not to have challenges in uh, you know, providing financing for our existing fleet and our expansion, um, we decided to diversify as much as possible and uh, uh, with the help of um, our CFO, uh, the last couple of years we have diversified our lending base significantly. Uh, we reached out to credit funds in the United States, we also came here in China uh, and we have managed to have a widespread um, sourcing of uh, capital uh, for the fleet. And so far we've been very happy with the way that we have allocated our funding uh, sources. We have the traditional banks from Europe that are pretty much in the industry anywhere between you know, 20 and 100 years. We have the Americans uh, which are now coming back into play with much lower uh, costs than initially anticipated. And also the Chinese, uh, which I think is going to become a dominant, um, you know, fund of, sorry, source of uh, funding uh, for the global shipping market. So we're quite happy with the, the diversification we have because uh, the trust in the lending system has been severely, um, you know, lost in the last few years. We've had cases like the Royal Bank of Scotland that after 250 years, uh, they went out of uh, the lending business. We had German banks that had billions of dollars of uh, lending books automatically get out of the market or contracting to a great uh, degree. So, you know, we need to be innovative and we need to find the sources um, to expand uh, the fleet. So that's what we did and we're very happy the way that we have approached it. Eddie, Eddie your view? Uh, well, I've seen, I think uh, everything ha has been said. Uh, we're also a small company, so we rely basically on traditional uh, bank financing. It will not go away, but of course, it's, uh, as Tamati said, uh, says, is, uh, um, uh, year by year, the banks lending to shipping are getting less. Therefore, alternative financing should be on the table for shipping companies. I'm glad that I came here to this uh, conference because I made, met a lot of uh, uh, Chinese uh, um, leasing firms, and I see that they're very active, and they could be an alternative financing to uh, the traditional bank lending. 
Um, we are also, um, uh, we have also approached institutional money in the U.S. who are lending at a little bit more expensive terms, but are there to do uh, deals. So overall, the, the, there are opportunities. Also being public has helped us uh, find alternative structures. And um, although small in size, I think we believe that we have a good uh, uh, financing source uh, one way or another. Uh, Christopher, do you think that the evolution of financing will make big companies bigger and small companies disappear? Well, you know, as a, like Louis Dreyfus Armatores Group, you know, we have had uh, quite a number of ships delivered to us over the past, uh, let's say, five years in China, and all of them have been, I shouldn't say all of them, but many of them have been financed under different structures. And what we find is that, you know, different uh, financial institutions or banks have interest in different uh, projects, right? Whether it's uh, asset-based financing, project-based financing, you know, we see that uh, in particular countries where we have important logistics uh, projects that certain banks are interested in that based on their nationality and the history that their country has had with the particular country that, that our project is in. You know, we find that there are some very aggressive on Chinese built ships, some very aggressive on Japanese built ships. Uh, and so I think, you know, to answer your question, I, I think that regardless of sort of, a, you know, it's a hard question to answer because in the bigger ship owners, the small ship owners, I think that depending on what type of project that they're working on and what they're seeking financing for, they, they, they may find a, a party that's interested to finance them. Okay. Okay. We as a company, we are very sensitive on the price. Uh, practically, we try to keep our OPEX as low as possible without discounting or uh, diluting the quality and also the finance cost. So we have a, a low break-even. Uh, having heard before the panel with the bankers, uh, I thought, oh, the mortgage finance is there. But it's, it's not true, actually. If you go to a traditional bank for a mortgage finance today, uh, first of all, uh, the first thing you, you hear is, uh, yes, we maintain our existing clientele. Uh, we want the very big uh, balance sheet. Uh, even if you manage to obtain a term sheet, then you see that you have differences in valuations, uh, which practically lowers the financing. And then uh, uh, the percentage of finance is around 50% plus lower valuation is getting even lower. And then uh, you need extra guarantees. Uh, eventually, they are asking for personal guarantees. Uh, and everything is, is related at the end of the day of the cost. Uh, and it's not that easy. I agree with you that it's getting difficult uh, for the smaller owners to secure reasonable financing. Of course, there are the alternative uh, American credits, uh, uh, funds, etc. Uh, but there is a substantial difference in pricing. So if you want to be, be competitive and uh, secure an operation without having uh, always problems and focusing on how to solve your, uh, your funding uh, problems, uh, then uh, we as smaller owners, we need to have uh, a reasonable financing, not only based on, on the balance sheet of every company, but based also on the uh, infrastructure of every company uh, how prudent, what is the credibility so far, uh, how they operate, uh, what is uh, the, the capabilities uh, every company has uh, um, uh, put together, and then value uh, more or less the pricing. This is at this moment not happening. Uh, on the other side, the leasing um, is an alternative, uh, a little more expensive at the, at the time, but again, 
uh, is uh, a funding or a financing for larger organizations. Okay. Then maybe the small owners should consolidate and become big owners. But anyway, thank you, Nicola. I have no other questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.